seated as we turn once again to Daniel chapter 7. We'll read that passage in, in just a moment, but let's begin with a bit of review. When we began looking at this, this vision that Daniel had in chapter 7, we looked at the picture of human depravity that we see in verses 1 through 8 as those uh, hideous beasts come up from the godless uh, sea of chaos. And then last week we began looking at the second image that we find in Daniel chapter 7 as we, we were given a glimpse into the very throne room of heaven where we see God, the Ancient of Days, calmly ruling in purity and all wisdom over all. We also see that the throne room is also a courtroom. We see divine judgment taking place where sin and the wicked, the epitome of sinful man, the little horn, will one day be totally destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. And the big lesson from last week is simply this, uh, sin loses and righteousness wins. Uh, even though sometimes we think the good guy doesn't always win, and he really doesn't in this earth, but the righteous will always be vindicated, and one day we will be vindicated in heaven, and we will inherit eternal life and an eternal kingdom, and we will reign together with Christ. And today we want to look at the second aspect of, or the third aspect of this, this second image that we have in this vision in Daniel chapter 7. As last week we had a glimpse into heaven itself, today we have a, a look into the future as one like a son of man comes and is given eternal uh, dominion. And so if you look at your sermon outline, I believe on page 5, you'll see today we'll be looking at the third point, which is the dominion and the victory of the Son of Man. And uh, the, the way that we'll go about looking at this is first, just the title Son of Man, and then secondly, I want us to be reminded of a few things about the second coming of Christ, and then lastly, we will look at the Son of Man being granted uh, dominion and a kingdom. And so those are three points uh, today. In 2003, a movie came out, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. Have you seen it? It's one of my, uh, yes, thank you for saying yes, whoever said that. I'm glad somebody else has watched. It's okay to speak up in church, as long as you don't disagree with me. Uh, it is uh, one of my favorite movies. And it takes place in May of 1805 during, during the Napoleonic Wars. And the plot is basically this. Captain uh, Jack Aubrey, who is captain of the, the British warship HMS Surprise, is obsessed with capturing and defeating uh, the French warship, the Akron, which was much larger and a much, more, a much better equipped uh, war vessel uh, than the Surprise. And so that's kind of the plot line of Master and Commander. And some of the things that, that really uh, captivate me with regard to this movie is the beautiful cinematography and uh, just the, the plot line itself. It's, it's a great uh, manly uh, war movie, but ladies, I think you would like it too. And, you know, there, there's just this, this, this wonderful uh, coming together of the scenes with, I think, one of the best musical scores of any movie that I've seen. I enjoy classical music, and Master and Commander has some wonderful uh, classical music pieces. 
So now you don't even have to watch the movie. You've just uh, heard all about it from me. But another aspect of this particular movie that, that has captivated my attention is just simply the role of the captain. And it, it has to do with the, the title, Master and Commander. You know, the captain, the captain of a sailing vessel probably is the closest thing that we have to an, an earthly situation where one person kind of has absolute dominion over his little realm, which in Master and Commander and in the sailing world is the ship. I mean, the, the captain's in charge of, of the crew and the passengers. What he says is to be obeyed uh, absolutely. And you, know, you it's, it's just a, he is one with full dominion over that, that sailing uh, vessel. No one is to question him. But a captain's dominion is limited and finite. The captain's dominion is a little ship in a great sea. And his dominion will last as long as the ship is on the sea. But there is one whose dominion is everlasting to everlasting and whose reign is supreme. And it's the ultimate master and commander that I want us to consider uh, today. And here's the glorious news that we find in this vision and in this, this third part of this second image that, that we have in Daniel. When life, as, a, as we spoke about last week, can be rather uh, chaotic and we can come to find ourselves in, in such a state of despair now, there's much about life that is enjoyable, and so in all of life, but especially when life becomes difficult and we, we feel and experience the uncertainty of the chaos that, that is this world and the insecurities uh, that are there, is there one to whom we can flee? And what Daniel helps us see is that, yes, there is. There is one to whom we flee, one who has all dominion and all authority. And I want us to reflect upon the beauty and the privilege that we have to be able to take all of our cares to the ultimate master and commander and find rest for our souls. And I also want us to reflect upon this, that the ultimate master and commander, Jesus, is utterly dependable. So now let us read verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7. I saw the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Let us pray. Our Father, today my prayer is for myself and for 
the folks gathered here in worship, that we would be reminded of the glorious news that Jesus is the dependable one to care, comfort, give perspective, give power, direct and protect his people. Father, that we would be assured of his dependability and his steadfastness. Father, that you might show us how much more we need to readily flee to him in all of life and especially when life gets scary. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, our first goal is to look at this title that we find here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Uh, one like uh, a son of man, right off the bat, you, you should be thinking, well, uh, verse 13 should, is pointing to Jesus, and if you're thinking that, you're absolutely correct. When we look at the New Testament, we see this term, Son of Man being applied to Jesus. In fact, it's kind of interesting. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 13 and 15, Jesus asked two questions to his disciples. The first question is, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And there were John the Baptist and several questions, or answers were given incorrectly, of course. And then Jesus asked this question, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, being Peter, uh, spoke right up, correctly affirming you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. And so Peter claims Jesus as the Son of Man. But Jesus also claimed to be the Son of Man. We find an example of this in Mark chapter 16. And that's the text where Jesus is uh, taken before the, the Jewish council, the sham trial that was taking place just before his crucifixion. And the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And then in verse 62 of Mark 16, Jesus responded, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of heaven. And so this title, the son of man, applies to Jesus. Daniel 7.13 is pointing us uh, to Jesus. Th this title brings to mind uh, Jesus being the ideal Israelite who perfectly fulfilled the covenant stipulations, who obeyed God in contrast to rebellious Israel. Uh, this, this title, Son of Man, reminds us that, that Jesus is the ideal human being, the best human being in contrast to the human beings that are depicted as beast in verses 1 through 8 of Daniel chapter 7 who represent depraved humanity. And so we, hear, we see this contrast between the ideal Israelite and the ideal man and rebellious Israel and depraved man knowing that in the end Jesus wins it all. But there's another reason I think that Daniel 7 points us to Jesus and it's this, that note what the text says, that one like the Son of Man will come with the clouds of, of, of heaven. And so also we, we find not only coming with the clouds of heaven, but also that he's coming and will be given full dominion and glory and a kingdom. 
And so he is not merely a man, but he is a divine uh, man in reference to the fact that he is given these things, these things that only God should have. And so today we read the Nicene Creed, for example. The Nicene Creed affirms Jesus' humanity, his human nature, but also his deity, his divine nature, fully God and fully man. So the term son of man doesn't merely point to Jesus' humanity. It points, it points to both his humanity and his deity. So what I want us to see here is that this vision in Daniel in verse 13 points us to Jesus being the fulfillment of that individual that is one like a son of man. And he is this divine human person that comes with the clouds. And this brings up our need to turn and look at a few things about the second coming of Christ. Because I think that's what's pictured here. Not only does it picture Jesus as the Son of Man, but it pictures Jesus coming again at the end of the age in the clouds. Now, you and I know very well, and we, we celebrate this at, at Christmas time, that, that Jesus' first coming was to do all that was necessary to redeem God's elect uh, from their sin. And we find that at his second coming, Jesus will come to complete that which he began and consummate history and finally destroy Satan and sin in an ultimate and final sense and bring about his kingdom in full, completely fulfill the redemptive plan both for God's people and for the earth itself as the earth will find final redemption in that last day. And so in light of this, I want to briefly look at the second coming of Christ. I just want to talk about four things. And the first thing is this. We've already read about it. We've already spoken about it. But the, the first thing is that Jesus will come in clouds. This is what we find referenced in Daniel 7 and verse 13. And, and the use of clouds in the Bible brings up this. The presence of God in power, in glory, and oftentimes in judgment. We see this in several occasions. In Exodus 40, when the tabernacle was built, the Shekinah glory, the glory cloud, settled upon it. And it, and it, and it showed the Israelites of that day that God was, was sitting upon his throne, so to speak, there in the tabernacle. He was present with his people. Another cloud sighting in the Bible is Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends up into heaven into the clouds and he says as I ascend I will come back and we see that, that even Daniel 7 13 speaks about Jesus coming back in the clouds and then we then we think of of the giving of the law in, in Exodus 19 and 20 and there that that glory cloud as uh, horrific as it sounded and looked, settled upon the top of Mount Sinai. And then, of course, we, we see the use and the presence of, of the cloud with Jesus' uh, second coming. In a passage like Mark 
13, verse 26, part of the Olivet Discourse, there the text says, Jesus will come again in the cloud with power and glory. And then in our text that Bob read today in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it speaks about the fact that when Jesus comes again, that those believers who are alive at his coming will be caught up where? In the cloud with Christ, inferring the fact that Jesus, yes, is coming in the clouds. And the point that I want us to make here is that when Jesus comes, when Jesus came the first time, how did he come? He came in humility, right? But when he comes the second time, he's coming with power and glory and majesty. He is coming in an awful, that is an awesome way that will get the tension of all. And the second thing I want to say about the second coming is that the timing is not known, but, this, but it is going to occur. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, there we read, No one knows the time, Jesus says, but the Father. And though the timing is secret, it is to be expected because it is a certain reality. And also in Mark 13, Jesus uses the imagery or the metaphor of a fig tree. And as, as the fig tree shows signs of it, you know, coming back to life and bearing fruit, so are there signs that point us to the reality and the certainty of the coming of Christ. And here's, here's something that is important to understand. It is not the case that human history trucks along and then there is one period where all the signs start to accumulate and then Jesus comes back. But, but Jesus' point in Matthew 13 with the fig tree imagery is that every year the fig tree gives signs of it bearing fruit and coming back to life again. In every generation... There are these signs that should point that generation to the certainty and reality of the second coming. Jesus will come in the clouds. The timing of his coming is secret but certain. Thirdly, the secret timing and certainty of his coming means every generation must focus on preparing for his return. And so the question comes then, how do we prepare? Mark chapter 13 verses 32 through uh, 37 is a mini parable of sorts where Jesus talks about the preparation of the faithful servant anticipating his master's return, but not knowing exactly when his master is going to return. It could be at midnight, it could be at three in the morning, it could be at nine in the, in the morning. And Jesus' point here is this, that we need, he uses uses three phrases that, that help us understand how we are to prepare. Be on guard, keep awake, and stay awake. And if we look at the Greek behind these three phrases, they really have the same root meaning. And it is simply this. Live a sanctified life. So you say, Tim, tell me, how are we to prepare for the second coming of Christ? And here's how we are to prepare. Seek Jesus by faith. And through that faith, receive all that he has for you. 
so that you can be strengthened in the inner man to do the good works that he has prepared for you. It's a reference to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Pursuing a godly life, living by faith, trusting in Jesus, being obedient, resting and trusting in him. That's how we prepare for his coming. And then fourthly, when Christ comes, he will gather the elect and will ultimately deliver them. Matthew 24, 30 tells those who are not in a saving relationship with Christ about their future. And so those who are not in a saving relationship with Christ dread his coming. And at his coming, they will be in a state of mourning. But for those of us who are part of God's family, those of us who are the elect, Jesus' second coming is a time of joy and celebration. For in Mark 13, 27, there that text, Jesus speaks of gathering the elect from the four corners of the earth. And it reminds me of what we read about in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9. Blessed are those who are, invi- who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And who are the invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb? This, this um, kind of eschatological banquet that I think the Lord's table when we celebrate it, um, it, it's a rehearsal for that, so to speak. But who are the invited? And I would say it's the elect that are gathered from the four corners of the world in every age. The church perfected as we sit together in heaven. And brothers and sisters, that's our future. As the people of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 19 and 18, again, reading just a part of this that was read earlier. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And listen to this. Please, don't, don't let this, this little phrase escape you today from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And listen to this. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then Paul goes on to say, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you today that, it, that if you have been united to Christ, if your heart has been changed and you see your sin and you have fled to Jesus and you've confessed it and you've received his forgiveness, if you've been united to him And he is your Lord and your Savior, your prophet, your priest, your king. I want to encourage you today that you will always be with the Lord. Today we're always with the Lord in a spiritual sense. He is reigning and ruling in heaven and God the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. And so he is with us today. But one day we will be sitting around that banquet table And we will always be with the Lord. Does that not encourage your heart? Especially as we struggle through some of the chaos 
of this fallen world. And to just remember, just to hear someone say, just to be encouraged with brother, sister, you'll always be with the Lord. Don't lose hope. Keep on keeping on. The Son of Man will come in the clouds with power as we have considered in these first two points with the title of the Son of Man and now with the second coming of Jesus. But this leads us to the third point, Jesus' dominion and kingdom. In verse 14, Daniel saw the Ancient of Days giving the Son of Man dominion and glory and a kingdom. And we want to understand this carefully it's not that Jesus isn't today one with all dominion and kingdom and, uh, and glory, but it is that at the end of the age, after Jesus has, has already won the victory at his first coming, he's been ruling and governing, but this is pointing to the fact that one day the second person of the Trinity will stand and all will be consummated. All will come to completion. And the victory that has already been won will be in full and Satan and sin will be destroyed. And so think of verse 14 as a, as a, as a way of, of Daniel showing us that there will come a point in history where all things will be concluded and Christ will be standing as the victor. One with all dominion and one with a kingdom. In Revelation 19, Jesus tells us at the end of the age, or John tells us rather, that at the end of the age, that, that Jesus will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty in judgment. That he will reign victorious. And then John in Revelation 19 goes on to say, and on his robe, says John, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you know that on that great day when Jesus comes again, not only will our knees bow before him, but the knee of every person that has ever lived, including the little horn, will bow before the majesty of Christ. For he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Daniel shows us that in, in the kingdom given to the Son of Man will be people gathered from all the nations and that Jesus' dominion will be eternal, that it will never pass away, that his kingdom will be in, in, eternal, that it will never be destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon rose and it was destroyed. Darius and the Medo-Persian Empire and Cyrus rose and it was destroyed. Alexander the Great and Greece rose and it was destroyed. Rome rose and though it was a force to be reckoned with, guess what? It was destroyed. And the epitome of all human kingdoms and rulers, the fourth kingdom and the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, rose to power and seemed to win, but it will be destroyed. And there'll be only one kingdom left standing, and that is Jesus and his kingdom. And guess what? We're part of that kingdom. Truly, Jesus' dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. It is absolute. It is ultimate. We read about this in Psalm 72. As there the psalmist talks about the true king. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from 
the river to the ends of the earth. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We see it happening right here in Daniel chapter 7. As we have this glimpse into the future when Christ comes again. And all things come to their appointed end. And he reigns supreme. The words of our closing hymn today state the truth of Daniel 7 and Psalm 72. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does. His successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Daniel saw the Son of Man, the true man, the true Israelite, coming in power and glory to receive what was already his, what was his right, his everlasting dominion and his kingdom that will have no end. A kingdom that is composed of his elect from the nations that have been purchased by his own blood, that have been secured and assured by his resurrection and ascension and his coming again. And brothers and sisters, if you're a member of Christ's kingdom today, you have every reason to stand boldly and confidently that you will remain a citizen of Christ's kingdom and you will dwell with him for eternity. And in this case, chaos, uncertain, unstable, ever-changing world, that is the, the North Star that keeps us centered in hope for the surety of Jesus, our King. When my children were uh, little, they would run to mom when they got hurt and needed some sympathy. But when they were scared, they ran to me. I woke up one morning a couple of weeks ago when a thunderstorm had come through our city. And lo and behold, even my dog runs to me when he's scared. Now, that really kind of builds me up. I like that. I like that affirmation of having dominion. That, that even my wife, my, my children when they were little, even my dog, you know, they run to me because they think I'm able to protect, that I somehow have control. But the funny thing is, at best, I have little control over just a few things, and that's, that's questionable. There is so much I have no control over. I guess I have a good poker face. I can look like I'm not scared when I'm scared. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because in my home, I may have the appearance of having dominion. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm really not dependable to provide for that really care and protection and safety that my family needs. You know, the storyline that I talked about earlier with, with Captain Jack Aubrey of the, of the uh, HMS Surprise, I mean, to me, he's just the, the epitome of, of a guy that's kind of got it in control, but he was flawed. 
And I think about the captain of, of the cruise ship, uh, Costa Concordia, January 2012, ran aground off the coast of Italy, I believe. And I may not get this fellow's name right, but Captain Francesco Cittino cowardly abandoned ship, left crew and passengers aboard, 32 died. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison for manslaughter. Whatever hap happened to the captain will go, is to go down with the ship to ensure the safety of the crew and passengers. My, my, my point is this. Even the best expression of a, of a man with dominion falls so far short. We're flawed. And at the end of the day, not thoroughly dependable. But God's people have the master and the commander that is utterly dependable. He has absolute dominion, not of a tiny ship on a great sea, not of a home in West Little Rock, not of a church in West Little Rock, but he has dominion over all. And when in all of life, and especially when life gets scary because of the chaos that is this fallen world, when we sense the instability, when we experience the uncertainty, when we fear what is coming around the corner, when we jump up and we turn off the, the news because we can't take it anymore, there is one to whom we are to flee that is utterly dependable. He is fully in control. He is absolutely sovereign. He has complete dominion over all. And in particular, he has gathered a people in a kingdom, you and me, that will last forever. And I'm reminded of this. Jesus will never go down with his ship, the church. Because his ship, the church, will never go down. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Brothers and sisters, we have one with all dominion. One that has an eternal kingdom of which we're a part. That is waiting and ready to receive us. And to care for us and comfort us and guide us and forgive us and empower us and bless us and use us to further his purposes in this world. Amen. Let's pray.